Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Well, I hope you all had a chance to listen to last week's episode with uh, Dr. Mandy Howard. We had just great feedback from our time with her and also just enjoyed uh, all the things that we got to learn from her. But I am very excited about today's episode as well. So Phil, why don't you share about today's episode? Yeah, today we got some great stuff. Um, We got Russell Moore, who has uh, just a ton of great stuff to offer us uh, in the interview that you'll hear in a little bit. We got a great mailbag question from Andrew, who's uh, working down in Mexico. We have some thoughts from the field with McLean Layton, uh, which I know that you'll be uh, be, uh, definitely learning from her wisdom on uh, some stuff going on in Uganda. And we have some recommendations as well. I'll, I'll be able to give you guys some book recommendations, uh, some of my uh, reads that I've had in the last couple months that have definitely made me think. So uh, definitely stick around for those. Um, in, in, before we get to all that great stuff, though, I, I want to be able to share with you guys out there uh, some, some places that you can give um, that we recommend, uh, actually, if you're going to be given somewhere in Haiti. Uh, to the relief effort from Hurricane Matthew. There's some great organizations that, that we know that uh, if, if you're, again, if you're looking to give to someone where you know the money will go to a place where you think it's going, it'll go to great work and it will go to the people that really need it. Um, Heartline Haiti is one of those great organizations. And we'll have all these links to these organizations on the show notes. So if you want to go to them, um, you can just click on the links and you can be able to give. World Orphans is another great organization, and it's their Kindful campaign. And all these ones you can just put on, on your donation for the Haiti relief effort, and it will all your uh, funds will go to that for these organizations. Um, another uh, great organization down in Haiti is Harvest Field Ministries. And uh, that's actually run uh, – it's in a hard hit area. It's actually actually still cut off from aid. That's where they are, and they're they're able to get some some of the work done there that might not otherwise be done. Mission Aviation Fellowship, uh, maf.org, and Christian Veterinary Mission are some other ones. So any of those will you'll have no qualms about where your money is going to be going. And um, I just really encourage you guys to uh, give wisely in this effort to continue praying. Um, for God to just continue to bring healing on this land that has been hit with so much over the last few years. So um, I, I do invite you to pray with me and Kelly on this and invite you to, to give generously um, to, this, uh, to this relief effort. Um, I also uh, want you to pray alongside with us that, that the relief will be just that relief and it will be something that will hopefully turn into rehabilitation and development for this land really quickly. Um, so we can do this work wisely, um, as we talk about on this show. So um, we'll roll from that on into the mailbag um, question, which actually has uh, it, it's 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 relevant to what's going on um, in Haiti, and it's relevant to I know a lot of the work that uh, you guys out there listening are doing around the world. So here's the question from Andrew, and again, he's down in Mexico, and he asks this. He says. I've seen different cultural expectations and beliefs hurt families and perpetuate problems that necessitate orphan care facilities. But also, I feel that attempts to change the culture, especially from outsiders, can be unwelcome or even seen as hostile. So then, to what extent can we, or should we, who are involved in orphan care, attempt to change the culture of the society we are in? 
How can we bring godly perspective and the kingdom culture of hope and empowerment to heal the modes of thinking and behaving that are perpetuating the orphan crisis while still respecting the existing cultural heritage? Kelly, what do you think of that? I think that's a great question, especially in light of just, I think, the Internet and global news that we are just much more aware of what's going on in the world, or at least we have the access to be more aware. Um, And I've seen it a lot of times when as Westerners or as Americans, we can come in with our own set of values that um, maybe our preferences and are not necessarily a first tier kind of issue. You know, I guess what I mean by that is just, is it a biblical issue? Is there, is there a sin issue going on that makes us want to um, maybe change a cultural, you know, heritage or a cultural um mode of doing things, mode of way of doing things. And so I, I think you kind of have to step back and say, what is our purpose in doing that? Is it, is it truly a, a, an effort or a cultural significant, you know, tradition that's maybe harming instead of helping or, or is it simply just a preference that we have? Um, you know, I know for, I've seen organizations who, you know, there's, there's certain tribes in Africa who will, um, who will kill babies if they are, have a birth defect or if they have a, you know, a, a mole in the wrong place. And so I think we have to be really careful. Obviously that is an evil, sinful thing. And so, um, being careful of how we engage in that. But um, I think all in all, I think, you know, I think that we can learn so many amazing things from other cultures that uh, can impact us for the positive as well. What about you? Yeah, I I agree with a lot of that. I think the first thing is to take a posture of learning, is to take a posture to understand, to take uh, a come in and really seek to understand who they are, to build relationship, as we've talked about so much on this show, to really to really come into it to say, you know what, help me to understand why you do what you do. Help me to understand where the basis is. Help me to understand, is it, is it from scripture? Is it from your culture? Is it, is it a combination of the two? What's it from? And then really to come at it as, hey, let's, let's look at this together. And let's see how we can hopefully learn together on what might be the right way to respond to this particular thing. But the reality is, if this is a cultural, in, embedded cultural institution, so to speak, Andy Crouch talks a lot about institutions, and he t- talks about the fact that it takes three generations to create an institution. If it's an institution, it also takes that same three generations or so to break down an institution. We're not going to come in in a couple weeks or a couple years or even a couple decades and break down a culturally embedded institution. Now, we can take steps towards that and we can have conversations, but that's really going to come in the context of relationship and to really bring truth of scripture to the to the equation. And that's something that I think is really important is to come into it and to talk to these people <clears throat> whoever we're working with and to say, you know, we, we're not looking to bring in an American excellence to what you're doing. We're not looking to even really seek the whatever country you're in excellence. We're seeking a gospel excellence. We're seeking the universal truths and the absolutes that are embedded in scripture. And if quite frankly, if it's not a, a, a gospel uh, issue, we really should defer for the most part to to the uh, cultural uh, of the culture of that particular country, because who are we to say that they're they're wrong and we're right? Um, you know, we may have our views on things, but as you said, you know, there are some beautiful things and beautiful differences in our world. And if we start coming in and saying you're wrong and we have the right answer, 
you know, that's just a, a recipe for paternalism. That's a recipe for um, God complex. That's a recipe for a lot of the things that when Helping Hurts talks about that we hopefully can be avoiding. So I would say that there are certain things, though, that like you said, those, you know, I mean, some extreme examples, but there's also some that are kind of on the on the fence. We're not quite sure, you know, what it is. And so is it right? Is it wrong? Well, that's where I think we can come into that mess and use a lot of the tools that we're hopefully learning on this show learning as we read these different books, learning, um, and actually Russell Moore talks a lot about it too in his interview today, um, to really approach it from a, to try to understand where they're coming from. And then we can get into the mess of it and hopefully come to solutions together that will move the ball forward towards best practices. I agree. I think you did a fabulous job of answering that question and just, um, in such with grace. And so I think that is just a huge thing. I think we have to come in with a posture of learning and, um, and also not just for the purpose of changing, but learning for our own sake of learning. So tell us a little bit about your interview with Dr. Morfield. Yeah. So this was one that I was very excited to do. Um, Dr. Russell Moore, he is the, uh, did I just say Dr. Phil? No, I don't think you did. I don't think you did. But uh, that would be another really interesting interview. If we could get Dr. Phil, if anyone out there knows Dr. Phil um, and you can get him on this show, please, please let us know how let we us do know. that. That yeah. would be fantastic. I don't know what we'd talk about, but I'm sure it would be a very interesting interview. But yeah. this interview is fortunately with Dr. Russell Moore because this, it was a very, very, it was a great interview. Um I learned a lot from. I, I, I don't want to. It sounds like I'm tooting my own horn. I'm, it was a great interview that I did, but uh, no, it was it was so much wisdom from this guy, and he is the president of the um, Ethics and Liber- Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention. He has been, uh, you know, the dean of, of uh, the School of Theology at the uh, Southern Seminary, I believe, in Louisville, and. Uh, he has a pastor as well. He's just a guy who's written a bunch of books. Many of you out there in the, in the orphan care movement know his book, Adopted for Life. It is one of the seminal books and one of the uh, most important books, I think, that's been written in, the, in orphan care along with uh, Connected Child by Purvis and, and a few others uh, that are up there. And so uh, that's a great book. And his latest book, Onward, which uh, says engaging the culture without losing the gospel is so important given all of the stuff going on in our in the United States as well as other countries around the world. How can we engage people well? It actually is just goes hand in hand with what we just talked about uh, on the uh, mailbag. So without more, I, I mean, you'll hear from him some uh, really good stuff. So get out your notepad and uh, and listen well to what Dr. Moore is going to share with you. Dr. Moore, it's so great to have you here on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. Good to be with you. Well, I have a lot um, to talk about. We could talk for hours and hours, but unfortunately, we only have about a half hour today. Um, and uh, as we, before we get into a lot of the, uh, the book, Onward in particular, that you've uh, recently published and, and some of the other stuff that you've, you've written over the years, I just would love to, to hear from you and to be able to share with our audience, uh, given that this is the Think Orphan podcast. Um, how did you become passionate about orphan care? And, you know, in particular, uh, what, what led you to write Adopted for Life? Well, I wrote Adopted for Life uh, really to talk to, to talk, first of all, to people who, were, who are in the same situation I was in. Because uh, when my wife and I went through uh, several years of infertility and miscarriages and 
and so forth. I was having a really rough time uh, spiritually and, and in ways that I didn't even recognize at the time. So I was starting to um, despair and I was starting to question God, but I was doing that in a way that didn't uh, that didn't feel like I was questioning God. It was just this kind of under undercurrent of bitterness. And when my wife said to me that she thought that that maybe God was leading us to adopt, my initial uh, reaction to that was one of reluctance. Mm. And even though I was certainly pro adoption uh, because I was pro life and so forth. It it seemed like a defeat to me. It seemed like giving up, and so I remembered uh, saying to her, uh, "You know, I'm I'm happy to adopt, but I'd like for us to have our quote own kids first. Mm. And you know, the Lord changed my heart over you know just a period of of weeks and months, and just changed my mind radically on that. And so going through that experience uh, helped me to, to think through people who were, were having the same sort of uh, struggle. And so that I wrote Adopted for Life really uh, to be able to address that and just to be able to give something to people who are, are trying to think about and to pray about how God's calling them to care for orphans. And you know, one of the things I found is that a lot of people – uh, they don't really talk to a lot of people when God starts moving them in the direction of, of orphan care. Uh, so I wanted to give them a resource that they could they could use as they're trying to pray through this and figure out what what to do. Well, I know it's definitely uh, has acted as that for a lot of people, um, and, and a lot of people are very thankful for that. It's really become one of the seminal books in in orphan care. For those of you out there who haven't read it, I strongly encourage that you do. Um, one of the things you talked about in there was. Um, why it is so hard why you think it's so hard for our world to see adopted siblings as brothers and sisters and, and I know in your personal life you've seen that uh, play out in different ways uh, can you just share a little bit about that I know there's a lot of stories in the book but uh, you know, maybe just pick one or so and share with our audience kind of why you think that is and how we can really uh, address that when it when it comes up well yeah I mean I, I talk about in the book the frustration that that we had when we were adopting two uh, two sons or first two sons uh, at the same time, and they're uh, they're three weeks apart uh, in age, and people would come up and say, you know, "Well, are they brothers?" And my response would be to say, "Well, yeah, they are now." And the, the people would say, "Yeah, but are they really brothers?" And I would say, "Yeah, they're they're our children now, so they're really brothers." Mm-hmm. And well, you know what you know what I mean. They would say, and it, it seemed to me that that impulse which I recognized in myself prior to going through this, this uh, process, um, is exactly what the New Testament is getting at in Romans and in Galatians and in Ephesians uh, on the doctrine of adoption. Uh, what does it mean to be really brought into the family of God and to really be brothers and sisters uh, in Jesus Christ? That's just really difficult to understand because we we kind of are, are all left to ourselves, uh, hyper Darwinists uh, who tend to who tend to see things in terms of, as the New Testament would put it, the flesh, uh, what we can blood test and what we can uh, what we can fit together uh, naturally. And so adoption then becomes for a lot of people uh, a good thing uh, for kids and a good thing for for families who who want kids. 
but it's kind of plan B. And so that's, you know, as one person asked me, well, isn't this just kind of like babysitting, but all the time? No, not at all. And, uh, and, and, and really, as Christians, we ought to get that because mm-hmm. we've all experienced that in terms of the gospel. And that's a great segue into the next, uh, the next question I have. In Adopt for Life, you also talk a lot about um, the fact that when a Christian understands the gospel, he or she would necessarily care more about adoption. And why is that true? Well, I think uh, I think it's not just a adoption, but the, the whole range of what it means to care for, for orphans and widows. And, um, and so I, I'm always careful to say I'm not suggesting that uh, all or even or even the majority of Christians should adopt. And I, I spend probably more of my time talking people out of adopting than talking people into adopting. Because I think it's 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 not good uh, for kids if they're adopted into households of people who haven't really counted the cost of what it means to to be parents and what it means to be parents to, to kids who often come out of really really traumatic uh, backgrounds. But all of us are called to care for orphans and for vulnerable women, and I think the reason for that is because the, the reason we ought to care for that is exactly as the Apostle Paul says the church at Rome, receive others as you have been received. Mm. We have been adopted into the family of God. We, we have a, a new father. We have new brothers, new sisters, a new family line, a new family lineage. Uh, and so that ought to cause us to see through those uh, kind of... Um, uh, as I was saying earlier, there's kind of Darwinian understandings of what adoption actually is. And so when we really get the gospel, we're going to care about that. And and I think the reverse is true as well. I think when people start actively caring for orphans, either through adoption or foster care, empowering uh, others to, to do that, then it tends to remind us who we are and tends to drive us right back to the gospel. Hmm. Yeah, and given, given that fact, why, why do you think it is, um, well, assuming you agree with me on this, that adoption and orphan care are, are part of the DNA of so few churches in America? And uh, why aren't more pastors preaching and teaching on the why, what, and how of visiting orphans and widows in their affliction? Well, I, I actually think that, uh, that this issue is, is becoming more and more Visible in local churches, and and not just uh, visible, but embodied uh, in local churches, and I, I think that's I think that's the case uh, all across the country. What I usually say to people, I'll, I'll often have people who will say, "Well, we don't have an adoption culture, an orphan care culture in our church because our pastor uh, doesn't ever uh, preach on it, or teach on it, or lead on it." And I really counsel people away from. Uh, turning this into a an interest group sort of wedge issue within the congregation, uh, and it, it can easily become that a kind of I am of mm-hmm. Paul, I am of Peter, I am of Apollos sort of thing that that the Scripture warns us against in First Corinthians one. Um, in many cases, you have pastors who aren't yet preaching and teaching on this because they don't uh, they don't really know what to say. Uh, or because they they just haven't uh, they have they have a thousand competing demands on their desk and they just don't know don't know how to integrate this one into what else is happening in the congregation and what I say is I've found 
that rather than coming up and saying to a pastor or, or pastors, you need to uh, preach more on this or you need to lead more on this, to offer to serve in this way. And so if you have a couple or a family that, ha- that they have a, or an individual who has a strong uh, burden for orphan care, uh, be able to go to your pastor not with a list of things for him to do, uh, but with here's a here's a ministry that God has laid on our heart to lead. Will you help us? Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, uh, a pastor is going to say yes. And then I, w- I would just say be patient because I've seen a lot of these churches where people have said we just don't have any orphan care culture in our congregation at all. And the minute that one family gets involved, either through foster care or adoption or or mission activities or whatever it is, then you've got an entire group of people who are starting to ask the question, well, what should we do? And is God calling us to to, to do this in some way? And then it's just – it tends to happen really, really quickly then within a congregation. And Mm. so just be patient and – and work through that that process in your local church. Yeah, that's some great advice. Those are great words. Um, I just want to transition now into the uh, the the latest book that you've you've written uh, called Onward: uh, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. And I just think that's a great summary, really, of the book. Uh, it's written really to mostly to America in our current day today, but I think it definitely has things that apply all around the world, uh, given that, you know, people from, from over 50 countries are listening in to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for you to just speak to, um, the, the idea that, uh, this, this quote, I just want to read real quick and then speak to it on why it's so important, uh, for gospel driven Christians in general and advocates for orphan and vulnerable children in particular to be involved with politics and conversations at the government level. And here's, here's the quote. Um, a Christianity that was, is without friction in the culture is a Christianity that dies. Such religion absorbs the ambient, ambient culture until it is indistinguishable from it. Eventually, a culture asks, what is the point of this whole thing? A Christianity that is walled off from the culture around it is a Christianity that dies. The gospel we have received is a missionary gospel, one that must connect to those on the outside in order to have a life. Our call is to an engaged alienation. A Christianity that preserves the distinctiveness of our gospel while not retreating from our callings as neighbors and friends as citizens. Let's be those who contend for the culture, but not those who are at war with the culture. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think one of the one of the issues taking place, not just in America, but in, in uh, many places all around the world, is a sense of, of fear and of panic. And uh, people are, are looking around and they're seeing uh, they're seeing. Uh, Neighborhoods or, or countries around them that don't, uh, that not only don't seem to be receptive to Christianity, but in many cases tend to see Christianity as uh, weird or strange or throwback or even, uh, or even dangerous uh, in, in many cases. And my response to that is to say that we shouldn't be fearful or panicking uh, about that, nor should we be, we shouldn't be the people who are, um, fighting idols with idols. So if you have a a culture that turns, for instance, uh, politics uh, or culture itself into a religion, uh, as as many cultures do, we don't combat that 
by by doing the same thing. Uh, we combat that by showing a different way. And um, I think that that's the calling that we have as Christians. And, and I think one of the, the, the problems is we just have a lot of really fearful, scared Christians out there. And people respond to fear in multiple ways. I mean, it's, it's fight or flight. Some people respond to fear by uh, wanting to be really still and quiet and sort of to, to withdraw and think that, that that's going to keep us from, from being in conflict with the world around us. And then other people just want to give in to uh, kind of perpetual outrage and, and power plays. I just don't think either of those two things are the way that Jesus is, has shown us uh, in the New Testament. We're, we're, we're not the losers in history. We're the future kings and queens of the universe as joint heirs with Christ, uh, which means that that ought to give us uh, confidence when we approach these sorts of issues that, that maybe our neighbors don't have. Yeah, I love that. And the, the follow-up quote on that earlier one I read, it says, but we will engage not with the end goal of winning, but with the end goal of reconciliation. And I just think that's so powerful in that, like you're saying, to not come in and attack, attack, but to come in and really see it as how can we reconcile, how can we bring this together? Um, well, and I think, I think one of the problems that we tend to have sometimes is we, we overreact to the last bad thing. And so uh, in the last generation, there were some Christians who overreacted to Christian pietism and, and withdrawal with a hyper-politicized uh, culture war vision of Christianity in many cases. And then now I think the tendency uh, for a new generation is to look back at some of the wreckage of the old guard religious right and to, to overreact uh, with a kind of, of disengagement that says, let's just preach the gospel, let's just disciple, and let's not uh, worry about issues of justice and, and righteousness and, and so forth in the, in the public order. I think that's a mistake, too. It's, it's kind of like what we see with the children of divorce. Um, I found that, that often children who have lived through uh, divorces and their their families, especially difficult divorces, uh, they often want to make sure that that doesn't happen to them, and that can that can channel itself into some really productive ways. So, some of the best husbands, wives, fathers, mothers that I know are people who live through some really traumatic family breakdown and say, I don't want to go that direction. But I've also seen some people who've responded to that by saying, Well, I'm just not going to marry. Uh, and, and, and that'll keep me from going through that. That's, that's not a, a productive way to respond to it. And I think, I think we tend to do that in terms of our, um, our engagement with the outside world is we, we tend to swing from these extremes that, that tend to take our focus off the gospel in one direction or the other. Yeah, and I think on one of those topics that you that you mentioned is is really a, a lot of the issues surrounding sanctity of human life, and I know that's one of the um, chapters of the book, Human Dignity. You also talk about religious liberty and family stability and some other things in the book, which I, again, strongly recommend. But one of the things you talk about in the book is how you hate sanctity of human life Sunday, and obviously yeah. that was something um, to, to kind of draw the reaction that you probably get a lot of times when you say that. Um, can you share why that is and also um, how we can effectively engage the uh, whole life message and lifestyle in the, in the church today and in our, in our lives today? 
Well, I hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, not because I don't think we should do it. I do. Uh, and not because I don't um, I don't enjoy preaching and, and, and teaching in those services. I do. It's because it always reminds me we shouldn't have to say this. You know, th- th- this ought to be something that is obvious to us, that we ought to care for, for all human beings, regardless of how vulnerable. And it's really, it ought to cause us to groan, as Paul says in Romans 8, uh, with, the, with the wreckage of the world around us, that we even have to say that, mm-hmm. that human lives are, are sacred and human lives uh, are important to God. That, that, that shouldn't have to be said, but it does. And so we're, we're the people who need, to, who need to say that. And we need to be the people who consistently live that out. And so we care about all of those that are, uh, that are seen to be invisible uh, by, by whatever group at the moment. So that means we, we care about unborn children. Uh, we care about unwed mothers. And we care about women who are in, uh, who are in uh, abusive situations. And we care about immigrant communities. And we care about refugees. And we care about prisoners. And we, we understand the image of God uh, present in every human being. And we, we seek then to, uh, to, to, to care for all of those who are vulnerable and in harm's way, which means that that's going to put us in a place of tension um, all the time because there are always going to be some people that somebody wants to keep out of the circle of humanity. And so uh, that's in, in some cases that's unborn children who are invisible uh, literally to most people they're hidden in their mother's wombs and and they're easy to to simply think of as products of conception and then at the same time that's the, that uh, that group of, of immigrant kids in your community who are being uh, screamed at uh, by people who, who, who don't think they ought to be in the neighborhood we, we got to stand up for both of those uh, groups of, of vulnerable people yeah and and what does that look like in in a in a conversation you have with somebody and they're just completely uh you know at odds with you and really don't necessarily want to hear it do you, do you just disengage or do you continue to engage in that what what would you say to that as far as you know when there's vitriol and when there's really a hate spewing out um in a lot of the culture because uh, i think that yeah. that's a lot and i think it sometimes triggers that same response as you yeah. said fight or flight um yeah. What's the way, yeah. best way we can engage that? Well, I think w- one of those ways is to, first of all, have a, a sense of compassion that sometimes the, the really hostile reactions that we are getting are coming from a place of hurt. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I remember, for instance, uh, there was uh, when I was a college student, there was some sort of pro-life demonstration uh, that was happening on, on the campus. And I saw this couple, I didn't even know them, but I came across them and the, the, the young man was angry and red-faced and shaking his fist um, at the pro-life uh, demonstrators, a very peaceful pro-life demonstration. And the wife, or the, the young woman, was turned around and crying. And you don't have to be a psychic. Uh, to realize what is probably going on in that situation. Um, the, the abortion culture and, and really the, the whole denigration of human life, it, it, it harms people. It doesn't just harm the people that it treats violently. 
it, it also harms the people that it that it promises to offer solutions to. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you're going to have people who are coming from a deep place of hurt for some reason or other. And so we we talk to them patiently, we talk to them kindly, uh, but we also we also speak openly uh, about what it is that we that we believe. And sometimes, you know, usually with these sorts of issues, you're not going to have a 20 minute argument that ends with one person saying, "You're right, of course, right. I surrender." That's, this is not the way. This is not the way human beings work. Typically, you're going to have people who consider the sorts of conversations that they have. And they consider them uh, sometimes over a long time. I mean, just think about the, the ways that on the issues where you have changed your mind. Uh, and I can think of, you know, sitting right here, probably a dozen, a dozen issues that I've changed my mind about. I never did because anybody humiliated me in an argument. <laughs> uh, it, it was always because somebody who had credibility uh, that comes with, uh, comes with love. Yeah. Uh, who who spoke words that I considered and came to see as being truthful and made sense of the world? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's the way we need to handle those who disagree with us. No, I agree, and that's that's some again some great great words. Appreciate those. Um, in a past talk, you you said uh, something in the lines of in our churches, orphan care cannot just be a women's issue. Yeah. Why do you think women make up most of the orphan care movement? How can we get more men involved and also, why is discipleship of men so critical to alleviating the orphan crisis? Well, I think one of the reasons why we have uh, we have more women than men involved is because uh, women are um, are accustomed as mothers uh, to being the whether they're they're biologically mothers or not, but they're accustomed to being on the the front line. Of uh, of nurturing a vulnerable life. Then that's not to say that men and fathers are not nurturers, but it means that there's an immediate sort of connection uh, between a, a mother and and her child in a way that, uh, that that people are able to make that connection very very easily. And I think the other reason is because we often tend to assume that this is a, a women's issue. And so women uh, tend, to, tend to lead the way on this. And that's not just in churches, but it's also uh, within homes. Uh, and I mean, I, as I told you earlier, I was someone, my wife is the one who sensed this calling to adopt and I resisted. And, you know, in all the years I've done this, when it comes to a couple, when a couple comes to me and says, we're not on the same page yet, about this, I can only think of one time where the the husband was ready to adopt and the wife was reluctant. It's almost always the reverse, mm-hmm. and I think the same thing is true within the church. Now, what I don't want to see is any diminishing of uh, women uh, in terms of their fervency. Indeed, that needs to increase, and there are all sorts of ways when it comes to orphan care where women, uh, women need to be uh, the leaders, uh, not just in, in a particular local church, but of necessity. So that, uh, you know, women who are, uh, women are often able to minister to, for instance, uh, birth mothers in crisis in, in ways that, that a man cannot and, or, or should not. But I think we also need men 
to see this as our issue too, and uh, to see this not as a uh, you know, I, I had a, a man say to me one time, well, it just feels like orphan care is a kind of soft issue. And, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what he means by soft uh, in that. But orphan care is not a soft issue. Uh, orphan care is spiritual warfare. Now, Joseph of Nazareth is somebody who, in caring for the Lord Jesus uh, and receiving him as his child in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 2, is confronting Herod, is confronting the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So we need all of the body of Christ engaged in this issue, and we, we really can't afford to have half of the body of Christ lagging behind. Well, you know, we could dig into that for so much longer, but I know where we need to wrap it up here. Um, and I, I encourage everyone out there to read some of the stuff that uh, Dr. Moore has written on these subjects. Um, we'll link to some of those in the show notes. And um, also read Onward and Adopted for Life if you haven't done so already. But as we wrap up, um, I want to ask you a couple questions that we ask all our guests. And uh, the first one is, uh, what have you read or listened to or watched in the past few months that has most impacted your thinking on the issues surrounding orphan care? Well, uh, that's a hard one to say. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think one of the things I reread uh, on Reen Allen's uh, Return of the Prodigal Son uh, a couple of months ago, uh, which, of course, I don't, I don't agree with Nowen on, on everything theologically, but he has a, a deep insight into what it means to be the younger brother mm. who's uh, sort of running from the presence of the father, what it means to be the elder brother who's kind of resentful of, uh, of God's grace uh, toward others, and what it means to be the, the to respond like the father uh, to other people. And you know, I read that book years ago and I reread it and it really uh, affected me deeply. And I think all three of those are necessary if we're going to be the people who care for vulnerable people of whatever sort, including orphans and widows. And uh, finally, uh, what one person has most impacted your thinking on the issues surrounding orphan care? Um, I'm not sure that there is one person. Uh, there has instead been been one long experience uh, with with grappling with this. And, and, and that was actually one of the problems that we had is that I really didn't know anybody at mm. the very beginning who had ever been through this process. We didn't know anybody who had adopted. We didn't know anybody doing orphan care. And so we felt as though we were, we were sort of all alone and, and walking in the dark, which, which meant that we, you know, we made a lot of mistakes. We had a lot of worries about things that we really shouldn't have worried about. We didn't worry about things that maybe we should have been praying about at the time. Now we have lots of good, uh, good uh, uh, resources and leaders. I and mean, I think of my friend Jed Medifin at the Christian Alliance for Orphans. I think about what you're doing here. I think about Jim Daly at Focus on the Family and Kelly Rosati is there with him. And just there's so many. I could, I could, could mm -hmm. go on and on and on of people that I learn from regularly uh, about, about these issues. Well, thanks again. And I know I learned a lot just in the last half hour or so. And I, I know everyone out there uh, listening to this will also. So thanks for your time. I look forward to continuing this conversation uh, in the near future. Well, blessings to you. Thanks for having me. 
Well, as promised, Dr. Moore brought so much wisdom to us through that interview. And I, I just really, really appreciate him in his just uh, the heart he has. And it's a man who has a platform that is about as big as anyone out there. But he makes time to do interviews like this one. He makes time to do a lot of other interviews, makes time to write books. And he's a great family man who loves his wife and kids. Um, and it's so encouraging to me. And I hope that he encouraged all you guys out there as well, um, as much as he did me and Kelly. And so the other thing I want to make sure to let you know, and I'll put this blog post on the on the the show notes, but it's a post that Dr. Moore wrote, I think it was in 2014, and it's what I've learned from the orphan care movement. And it's something that I, I really appreciated his heart and what he shared in that. So I encourage you all to go out and either Google it or check it out on the show notes. But Kelly, what do you think about the interview? I thought it was great. You know, some of the things that he talked about just really kind of hit home for me, I know, as a as an adoptive parent. And, you know, we have had those times when um, people are, you know, are they brothers? And um, we have two beautiful boys um, who do not look like brothers. But trust me when I say they act like brothers. Um, all the rough and tumble, all the, the arguing, but also all just the camaraderie that comes with having boys in your home. We have that. And so, you know, one of the things over the past, uh, I guess since I've entered into this this realm of, of adoption and orphan care, you know, I think adopt, adoptive parents have a a good heart, but I think sometimes we can uh, respond in a way that does not further com- does not further encourage in conversation um, by becoming it's really defensive. You know, we've had that. Is 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 that your child? You know, are you are you babysitting or you know just things like that? And and I always am like, yes. And isn't he beautiful? Like that's a, a kind of a response I've had of just you know just trying to not. Not not assume that they are meaning uh, to be offensive, but come at it as, you know, they're a, pe- a place of learning. They're just asking a question. And I think I've seen way too many adoptive parents just just overreact. And so I think that is a way that when we respond to these questions, it is a way to open up more dialogue and more conversation and not assume the worst in people. Um now, I know that we have little ears around sometimes and we want to protect our little ones and, and things like that. But I, I really just enjoyed what, you know, Dr. Moore was saying of just there is there are questions that are going to come and we can answer them in a way that um, that is encouraging in a way that is not going to come off as harsh. So what about you, Phil? Yeah, I, th- I think I, obviously I can't personally relate to that, but I could I could definitely see exactly what you're talking about. Um, the, the couple things that he talked about, one is just how to engage pastors on these issues. That was something that I encourage all of you to go back and listen to. As a pastor, he obviously has that insight. Um, and so it's really important because pastors do need to be involved if this is really going to take take shape and take hold in a church. Um, the other thing that I really appreciated, and we, I alluded to it in the in the first uh, segment of the show today, is just his compassion. And when he talks about, you know, how do you engage people? And it's really, especially when they have, there's hate and vitriol and, and how he responded to that to say, you know what? Most of the people that are coming at it with that hate and with that vitriol ha- come in, are coming from a place of hurt. And so we really need to kind of enter into that and say, what is that? Who... 
who are you and, and why, you know, why are you believing what you believe and, and to be able to meet them where they are and to go from there. And that was something that I really appreciated because it's so important for us, especially in a time in, in an age of, uh, that we are in and in a, in a country of pluralism in a world of pluralism, we need to really be able to understand how we can engage and meet people where they are. And so I, I really appreciated how he was able to do that. And his life definitely shows that. I mean, he's been called a lot of names by different people. And to see how he reacts to that with grace and with humility is is really encouraging for me, especially hearing his answers to this in the context of that. So, yeah, so that's definitely what stood out to me. Um, well, let's uh, now move into the uh, Thoughts from the Field segment. Today we have McLean Layton. Um, she's the founder and the president of Equality for Adopted Children. And I was able to um, catch her at the uh, Orphan Summit out in uh, uh, Orlando earlier this year. And she was really passionate to answer this question of what uh, is the, one, of the, one of the biggest issues we're facing in the world today and how can we address it as the orphan care movement. And so I'm just going to let you listen to what McLean has to say. Well, one of the issues that the movement is facing today is the drastic decrease in the number of international adoptions um, worldwide. In 2006, I believe, there were 24,000 children adopted by at least U.S. citizens. And as of last year, we were down to around 5,500, which was a 12% decrease from the year before. So the numbers keep dropping significantly. And um, I think that is a huge problem because there are plenty of families in the United States and around the world who are willing to take children into their homes, love them as their own. And yet those um, options are not available, are becoming less and less available because of restrictions put on by governments and ours included, ours meaning the U.S. And, um, and so children who could benefit from adoption are being deprived of that option. So how we are going to fix that issue is another dilemma. And it takes educating government officials globally on the value of adoption, the value of placing children in families, not in institutions, the value to their countries, to the to civilization, to society, to have children brought up in a loving home versus brought up on streets or in institutions, which science has already shown is bad for their brain development, bad for their social development, bad for um, their development as individuals, as citizens of the country, and it's an economic drain on society, and it leads to trap trafficking and child soldiers and so when countries begin to understand the value the huge economic benefit and society society benefit of placing children in families i think we can help change the dynamics of that situation so here's an example of the problem in uganda the 50% of the population is under the age of 15. Yet Uganda's um, parliament just passed a bill that would require that adoptive families live in Uganda and foster a child for a year, which essentially closes Uganda to international adoption. Okay, so 15, 50% of the population is under the age of 15, and yet adoptions 
international adoption is not a possibility in Uganda. That is unacceptable. Well, we thank McLean for her answer, and we totally agree. There are definitely issues going on, especially in the realm of international adoption, and we would love to hear your thoughts, and maybe we look forward to having McLean on our show hopefully soon, um, or anyone else out there who might have just some expertise in this area, but we we agree, and um, it's not just in Uganda. It's in other places, so that will definitely be a topic that we will tackle in the near future. So, Phil, tell us a little bit about the books that you are going to read recommend for us. Yeah, I get excited about this uh, this segment, the Phil and Kelly recommend part, because it's something that I think that you and I both are just kind of getting into different stuff, and I love being able to share it with with the audience. Um, well, I'm actually going to share, uh, this is like a lot of recommendations today, but they're all somewhat related. Um, I'm doing five books, because I've finished all these five books in the last month, month and a half or so. And um, they're all really, four of them are Christian, um, really apologetic type books. Uh, Pursuit of God by Tozer, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray, and Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. The other one, um, and all those books are fantastic. You will not be wasting your time reading any of those, and they will make you think. Um, They're all books I'm going to read again because I read them quickly to get through them all at once. Um, But I want to go back and really study them more. And I hope that you guys all out there read these too if you haven't already. The other one is called Sophie's World. And this book was actually a book I read because my daughter was reading it in high school. And it's, it's written really as a text for philosophy. And it goes through the history of the philosophy in our world. And it was fascinating. It's written um, really as a summary of all the philosophers, but it's written um, as a story. And it's written basically as a, a guy who is teaching this little girl about philosophy. And I'm not going to go into that, that part of the story because that story itself um, is brilliantly woven into the, into the book. And so I, I really strongly recommend the book. It's not a Christian book. It's, it's a book that talks about different philosophies, but it's really something that, to me, it made clear that really there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, a lot of the philosophies we're seeing today that, are, that have been over the last few decades, they're just regurgitations of the past. And so it's something that I strongly encourage people to dig into, whether it's that or into the actual philosophers and their books and their works, to read some old books, to read some old thinkers and what they believe and, and uh, how we got to where we are today. Because so many people think that we have progressed in our thinking to this new, these new heights. And the reality is these are, there's nothing new, you know, in, in our world is a, is something that we've faced before and um, we'll probably face again. And so, you know, we can continue to learn from the past and that's really what I'm trying to do by reading these different books. So I invite everyone out there to do the same. Well, thanks, Phil. And I look forward to getting uh, my hands on some of those books as well. And we want to thank Dr. Russell Moore for being on the show today. And we also want to thank you for the download. We have our show notes at uh, thinkorphan.com where you can see those. You can have all the links that we mentioned on the show today. So please join us there or on Facebook. Go and like our page and send in more of your questions that you may have. We look forward to hearing from you. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.